From India's largest newsroom, I'm Meenal Baghel and this is the Times of India podcast. Chief of Defence Staff ka jo task cut out hai, wo hai tino service ko ekjut hokar saksham banana. Aur hum isi taraf karwai karte rahenge. Main aapko ye yakin dilana chahunga. कि इसमें आर्मी नेवी एयरफोर्स एक साथ टीम वर्क करते हुए कार्रवाई करेंगे सीडीएस जो है उनके ऊपर नियंत्रण रखेगा लेकिन कार्रवाई जो होगी वो टीम वर्क के जरिए होगी ऐसे नहीं होगा कि अपने निर्देश के हिसाब से सीडीएस किसी फोर्स को चलाना चाहेगा दैट्स इंडिया फर्स्ट चीफ ऑफ डिफेंस स्टाफ जनरल बिपिन रावत लेइंग आउटिंग थ्री आर्म ऑफ इंडियन मिलिट्री अंडर वन यूनिफाइड कमांड when he took charge in january last year but just a year and a half on as the indian military is in the midst of its most transformational process yet a turf war has broken out with the cds publicly commenting that the indian air force was only a supporting arm of the indian army air chief marshal arkes bhadauria was quick to point out that all modern wars were in fact led by the air force and that the iaf was not merely a supporting arm of the indian army it is not a supporting role alone the air power has a huge role to play in in any of the uh, integrated uh, uh, battle area i speak to defense expert manoj joshi about the proposed sweeping changes in the command structure of the indian military whether the post covid geopolitical realities are dictating a new military doctrine and exactly what is causing experts like him disquiet about the changes taking place in the corridors of raksha mantralay manoj joshi is a columnist with the times of india he has been on the advisory board of the national security council and he was also a member of the task force on national security chaired by narish chandra so uh, manoj i wanted to begin by asking that last year we created this whole position of the chief of defense staff operating under the department of military affairs why did we need to create this new structure well you know that for a long time defense forces they've been fighting as their individual units meaning the army the navy the air force now going back all the way to the time of world war 2 the lesson is that you have what is called combined armed operation meaning the best way to apply force in a certain way you need to air force needs to work with the army need to work with the navy and the better they work with each other the easier it is so right from the beginning there has been that feeling uh, that we need to do that and in india's case we've also had uh, what should i say bitter lessons since in 1962 uh, when we were badly defeated by the chinese our air force played no combat role and many people say that had it played a combat role maybe the defeat would not have been as uh, severe as it was then in 1965 uh, if you recall we when the pakistanis tried to stir up a rebellion in jammu and kashmir when that didn't work then they attacked at chum uh, with with their uh, regular army and so shastri ji ordered an attack across towards lahore now the amusing thing is uh, amusing or i should say tragic comic thing was that the army didn't tell the air force they didn't tell the air force that we are moving this way and they moved and the pakistani air force shot them up and there were a lot of problems uh, thereafter 
see the basic point i'm trying to make is that the modern warfare has evolved over time and the notion that that all three must fight in an integrated fashion uh, has been around now for quite some time meaning in the us it began in 1947 they began a particular process uh, the israelis they you know they call themselves the israeli defense forces there is no such thing as israeli army or israeli navy the second point is has been that the armed forces have been what is called attached officers of the ministry of defense in the sense they are only there to do a certain job but they have no role in policy so they had no role in the ministry of defense which was only run by the defense secretary and others the defense secretary was responsible for uh, the defense of india etc you see now these are all sort of anomalies where you required military to play a role in policy making if you, if it was going to execute policy otherwise then you would have a lot of goof ups mm-hmm. and we did and mm-hmm. we had our sri lanka operation without thinking uh, through you know how it would work then we had the kargil uh, operation and they also there were problems between the army and the air force why is the indian air force so upset with general rawat you see the thing is that the uh, the army and the air force have always had this 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 issue meaning it's a lack of comprehension as to what is the role of the air force the air force sees its role as a kind of a strategic role as something that you destroy uh, enemy at a strategic level destroys any uh, economic targets and and things like that uh, whereas the army thinks that the only job of the air force is a kind of flying artillery meaning in the sense they have artillery guns which have ranges of 30 kilometers so they say that we need firepower beyond that the air force's job is to do that which is why he said that the air force is just a supporting arm so this is the old fashioned world war 2 kind of uh, thinking uh, let's say in a country like the us where the whole notion of fighting a battle is where the army and the air force fight virtually together meaning it's a combination they communicate with in india you know the um, uh, when we have our different commands mm-hmm. so there army is northern command so the air force relationship with that is through a liaison officer that's it in a battle you first communicate with the liaison officer and the liaison officer gets on the phone to the other guy so it's extremely old fashioned extremely um, uh, what should i say not very uh, useful and then over time the indian military had solidified into 17 different commands now you'll be surprised that if you are talking of the eastern command the army's eastern command is in kolkata the air force is in shillong and the navy is in visakhapatnam so now if you were fighting a battle let us say in the east mm. the astonishing 1500 kilometers one way the headquarters so separated you know what how do you uh, function so all these kind of anomalies you know the the there were a lot of people who said that we need to completely restructure the armed forces and the original idea was that you first create a cds a chief of defense staff who will then lead the process that is exactly what is happening right now also but the older recommendations and i was part of one committee called the narish chandra task force on defense the older idea was to do it systematically feel your way through uh, experiment do simulation do gaming exercise and see whether things work and only when things work you take the next step ahead in this case what happened was when general rawat was appointed it was immediately announced that he has 3 years to do this job 3 years he has to integrate things and and do everything and 
That is number one. Number two, it is very clear that Rawat was not intellectually equipped for the job. He was an old-fashioned army general, good in his uh, as a uh, uh, traditional army general. But what we are talking of is taking the military to a completely different way of fighting, a different kind of warfare. And General Rawat had fixed views, and amongst those fixed views was that he felt that the Air Force has a kind of a subsidiary role uh, in the whole setup. So, in your view, what kind of a person should be heading this whole new restructuring program? It has to be somebody from the forces. Definitely, it has to be. Now, this is where the politician comes in. After all, he is the master. It should have been the judgment of the Raksha Mantri, a defense minister, and the prime minister. Such an important task. You give it to someone. You give him a certain mandate. But the problem is our politicians simply don't apply their minds. Meaning they say, "General Sahab, ye kar dijiye." You see, so uh, that's not how you do things in, in modern times. The politicians and the military people and the bureaucrats they need to work, uh, need to understand each other's um, uh, tasks. They need to understand each other very, uh, very well. You need to have a very clear-cut idea. After all, what are you trying? What are you seeking? You need what many countries say. You need, for example, a national security strategy. What is India's national security strategy? What is the most important strategic challenge I confront? Mm. Is it my oil, oil supply lines to the Persian Gulf? Mm. Is it my border with China uh, in the north? Is it mm. Pakistan? But isn't it obvious? I mean, I would think that Pakistan would be, or Afghanistan, Pakistan, and now China. Uh, or do we need to recalibrate this yes. doctrine? <laughs> Because I don't think Pakistan is very important. I don't think Afghanistan is all that important. You know, as an Indian who has lived through two oil blockades, I can tell you, yes. your oil supply lines to the uh, uh, Persian Gulf get blocked, and you're uh, you're in big big trouble. Your country will come to a grinding halt. So, over the years, what are our new sort of uh, areas of concern? You said oil is one of them. Oil is one of them. Yes. After uh, cyber security. Now you're hearing this, uh, these stories about how these companies are holding American companies to ransom, you know, and the, the mighty American United States of America seems to be unable to do anything about it. If someone takes over some your know, power plants or something like that or disrupt those, you need a group of people to think this through. Now the uh, national security advisor was supposed to, you know, the government had created something called the Defense Planning Group. From hmm. uh, in 2018, okay, and Mr. Doval was charged with trying to come up with a national security uh, strategy, but we have not seen anything about it. See, because it flows from the national security strategy. Then, but what do you want? If I say the national security strategy that my island territories are very important or my sea lanes are very important, then obviously you will prioritize supporting the navy, uh, put more money to the navy. But what we are seeing is that money to the navy is declining. If I understand you right, what you're saying is that we are in the middle of a very major revamp of our uh, military and of our response, uh, of our stab military establishment, and we don't have a clear idea of what the challenges are. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, absolutely. You must lay the foundations. You know, so in in when I was in the Narish Chandra committee, one of the things we said was that. Why don't you at least start with something called the joint logistics kind of thing? In the sense, all three services, okay. uh, the logistics, you know, petrol, 
food, warehousing, etc. Uh, all three services have their own. Yes. And uh, why not uh, integrate them into one? Start with the joint logistics force. Then you can have a joint cyber security thing. You can have a joint space force. So what I told you was the group of ministers in 2001, they gave a series of recommendations. So CDS creation was one of them. And they also did one other thing, is that they created something called the Andaman and Nicobar Command. And this was the first theater command. This could be commanded by either an army, navy, or an air force officer. And that is what has happened since then. And the feeling was that uh, we'll see how this Andaman Nicobar Command works as a theater command. And if it works as a theater command, then we will look for other theater commands. So by experimentation, we'll move, feel our way ahead. The process of moving ahead in this militaries, you know, that's why militaries do exercises. That's why they do simulation, war gaming. Military is not about, you know, kind of saluting and go left and go right. There's a lot of intellectual work associated with it. And we have not been very encouraging. We have uh, supposed to set up a national defense university. Nothing has happened. A lot of the work, doctrines, etc., which, for example, the Chinese do or the Americans do, they come out through their professional academic institutions, military professional academic institutions. In our case, we have nothing. So there's a, there's a tendency to play down this aspect. Uh, but we are in a very different kind of an era. Uh, you know, where walls that are going to come in the future are very different, very fast-tempoed, lot of um, a lot of uh, artificial intelligence, robotics, etc., etc., be completely different from the wars that were fought in the past, and we've got to be prepared for it. And uh, but we must be also intellectually, you know, kind of uh, oriented towards to understand what is happening. But if India were under attack, or we were to attack someone, the response wouldn't it be anyway united? Wouldn't we be the theater of war in that sense? No, you know. The, <laughs> I, the example I'll give you is uh, when we, in Kargil. Now, that is a very small, tiny little war. Hmm? And yet, the uh, army called its operation Operation Vijay. And the Air Force ran a separate operation called Operation Safed Sadhan. And the Navy had a third operation. I forget the, uh, the name. So, what I'm trying to say is that they actually plan to fight separate wars because they have separate commanders. Only if you have a unified commander will you fight. That is the idea of the theater command. The central point really here is not that uh, they should not be there. They should be there. I agree. But my worry is that if you do it the way it is being done, you will create chaos. And that would possibly damage national security. In the sense, it would unbalance things. As it is, you have seen the question of the Air Force. Now, the Air Force, all these years have been training to fight in one particular way. Now you have a higher commander saying, no, no, you shouldn't fight that way. You've got to fight this way. Now, the point is the Air Force doctrine is different. They have practiced around that doctrine. They're used to that, used to that command, uh, that situation. So now you are, you'll unbalance them. If you're telling, no, no, that task is now uh, no longer there. You've got to do that task. But this guy doesn't have the equipment. He doesn't have the training. He doesn't have the exercises. And then suddenly, if you're confronted with a war, you get into trouble. That sounds very dire, given the fact that we are already engaged in in a in a sort of a conflict with China. <laughs> it is dire. That is why people have been writing this, and people have made an uh, issue of this. That kind of casual statement. As I told you, the very first day that 
Rawat took over. The next day, he issued an order saying that we must study to create an air defense command. That means he had come up with a preconceived notion already. He had it, uh, something in his mind that I have to, I must do this. You see, but this is a matter like it's like the national security strategy or any doctrine that you create. Those have to be cooperative, collaborative efforts because you've got to take the other guy with you. The other fellow has to come with you. Most of our organization, etc., virtually World War II, meaning in a sense, separate commands planning to fight separate battles, everyone having a uh, different perspective. And so trying to integrate that, uh, you first of all require integrated doctrine, meaning we don't have a, we, in 2018, they had a, a joint uh, doctrine, we had a discussion in uh, the Observer Research Foundation, and it was, most people are very critical of it because it wasn't based on real-life experience. It wasn't based on the kind of war game and simulations uh, that mm. you must conduct before you come up with a doctrine uh, of that nature. Mm. And in particularly, it's like planning that you, it's often aspirational rather than real. If you take China, China had these uh, also very rigid military regions. But from around 2005, 2006, they started the process of thinking of change. And they chose one of their military regions called the Jinan military region. And they started doing these experimental things there. You do an exercise, Army, Navy get together, they do exercise. And then come down to 2013, where they first enunciated the idea of joint command, and then it was done in 2016. And it was given up to 2020 to implement. So this was done over a period of time, some, um, I would say, 15, uh, 20 years. And as I said, this was done with very careful thinking, and it was top to bottom. In our case, what you've done is you have taken one person and you say, okay, tomorrow you are CDS, Chief of Defense Staff, and you're also the Secretary of the Department of Military Affairs. And the military affairs you have to run. Now, traditionally, army officers have never had that kind of training operating in a bureaucracy. You should have brought them up. He should have been, someone should have been a director in the Ministry of Defense for two years, then maybe gone back to the army, then come back as a joint secretary. So that kind of experience is not there. So suddenly you have thrust this task on the uniformed officer that you handle this. Okay. And do it in three years. I want uh, this done. So it, it looks to me as a kind of a very haphazard exercise. Today's episode was produced by Joshua Thomas and Jairad Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We are available on TUI+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, reach us at tuipodcasts at timesinternet.in.